The gospel lesson for the day comes from the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, beginning at the 13th verse. Here in the 14th chapter, Jesus has just been told of the murder of John the Baptist. Hear the word of God. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed Jesus on foot from the towns. And when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to Jesus and said, this is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And Jesus said, bring them here to me. Then Jesus ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the bread loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled, and they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about five thousand men besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. My first visit to Israel-Palestine was in 2008 with a group of pastors who were all graduates of Princeton Theological Seminary. One hot summer afternoon, the 25 or so of us were gathered for a communion service along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. We were next to the church of the primacy of St. Peter. Tradition tells that this church was built at the place along the water where Jesus, the risen Jesus, made breakfast for the disciples who had gone back to fishing, next to the ancient church there at the ancient church, the site where Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him. There are several areas for visiting groups around the church to sit in the shade, sort of like picnic shelters intended for prayer, for worship, for teaching, or for listening to a tour guide talk about the church. It was a beautiful place. The breeze was coming off the water. We could hear the water lapping against the rocks. The communion table was set. We enjoyed some singing at the beginning of the service. And as we began to share the bread and the cup, it became amazingly quiet. We went up to the table two by two. 
all of us in prayer. Some were in tears, others in wonder at the view, at the place, at the moment. Where we blessed and broke the bread could not have been far from where Jesus fed the 5,000, besides women and children. And the silence among us was as if you could hear the Holy Spirit moving. We were still communing when three school buses pulled up just on the road at the top of the hill, and young children rushed out and made a beeline for the shore, the rocks, the water. They passed right in front of our view of the water, and they came right through our holy moment, our holy space. They weren't so much interested in the ancient church or the sheltered spaces for prayer. They went for the water, skipping stones, throwing rocks, wading in the water up to their knees, laughing, screaming, yelling to one another in Arabic. It's what children do along the shore. Not long after the children arrived, and when about half of them had made it down the hill to the water, one of my fellow ministers, fearing our sacred moment was going to be ruined, stepped out from our shaded gathering to try to appeal for quiet. He didn't speak Arabic, so all he could do was shh as the kids ran by. And then he started to run around them, shh, like he was playing a game of shh tag, or trying to shh them away rather than shoo them away, trying to tell the small crowd of joyful children to go away. The disciples wanted Jesus to send the crowds away. It wasn't because they were too noisy, but because it was getting late and they would need to go find something to eat. They were in a deserted place. It was time for the crowd to go and find something to eat. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. Jesus tells them to bring him the loaves and the fish. Then he tells the crowd to sit down on the grass, and Jesus looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and all ate and were filled. About 5,000 men besides women and children. They all ate and were filled. But before they were filled, before the disciples told Jesus to send the crowds away, before Jesus asked for five loaves and two fish, before the crowd sat down in the grass, before Jesus looked up to heaven, before take, break, bless, give, before the 12 baskets came back full, before all ate and were filled, before all of that, according to Matthew, Jesus saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them. Before they all ate and were filled, he was filled, filled with compassion. 
earlier in his gospel. Matthew tells of Jesus going about all the cities and villages, teaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. When Jesus saw the crowds, Matthew writes, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Just a chapter after this account of the loaves and fishes, Matthew tells again of a multiplication. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry. And in the 20th chapter, Matthew tells of the two blind men sitting along the side of the road outside of Jericho. Lord, have mercy on us, they shouted. And the crowds told the two to be quiet. That Jesus, but Jesus stood still and called out to them. And as the gospel records it, Jesus was moved with compassion. He touched their eyes and they regained their sight and followed him. Jesus was moved with compassion. Before they were filled, he was filled with compassion. Jesus had just been told about the death of John the Baptist, the brutal, violent, head-on-a-platter murder, the death of the man who baptized him. He went to be by himself. He wanted to be by himself. If there was ever a time to be by yourself, to grieve, to weep, to pray, and Matthew says he withdrew. Jesus went to the deserted place by himself, by boat, but the crowds followed him on foot along shore, keeping him ever in their sight. So when he got there, they were already there. Instead of having the deserted place to himself, which was clearly his intent, he saw a great crowd. And despite his own grief, despite his clear intention and desire to be by himself, instead of the heartbreaking good cry that would be so warranted after John's murder, Jesus still had compassion. He had compassion for them still, even then, still compassion. He didn't ask for a few hours or from some time alone or even for a moment. He had compassion. He didn't try to explain his situation or share why some time alone would probably be good for him, a put your own oxygen mask on first kind of thing. He had compassion. He didn't pretend that he didn't see them. He didn't turn away or get back in the boat or go find another spot. He had compassion. Jesus didn't require them to listen to a sermon first or to show their religious stripes, or pass a scripture test. He had compassion. He didn't wait for them to ask, or make them beg, or convert them first. He had compassion. He didn't expect them to justify themselves, their sickness, their hunger. He had compassion. He didn't demand they shout out or bow down or perform a sacrifice or praise him or express their gratitude first. He had compassion. Jesus didn't wait to find out if they could afford it. He didn't check to see if they came from the right family. He didn't search the Hebrew scripture for a justification. He didn't stop to ask himself if they deserved it or if they earned it or if they even wanted it. He had compassion. This time there was no talk of sheep and goats. 
He didn't ask about the true believers. He didn't preach about a narrow way or the eye of the needle. He didn't tell them to go and sell everything and give to the poor. He had compassion. Jesus didn't wade into the crowd to see which ones agreed with him. He didn't ask them if they bought into his interpretation of this text or that. He didn't examine their views on piety or doctrine or temple practices or the Sadducees and the Pharisees or rendering under Caesar or heaven and hell or salvation. He didn't require them to attest that he was the only way. He had compassion. He didn't divide them into groups based on where they came from or what dialect they spoke or what side of the street they lived on or who were the haves and who were the have-nots. He didn't check to see who was pulling on their own bootstraps or who was trying to help themselves or even who was sicker or hungrier. He had compassion. He didn't ridicule them or question them or demonize them or label them or tell them they were wrong or yell at them. He didn't lead with cynicism or lack of trust or fear. He led with compassion. He didn't stoke their fear or pit them against each other or threaten them or assume they were lying or accuse them of trying to get something they in no way deserved. He had compassion. Before the Last Supper, when he again blessed and broke, before his betrayal and his torture, his crucifixion and his resurrection, there was his compassion. Long before the Reformation and, and before liberals and conservatives and literalists and fundamentalists and progressives and evangelicals, there was his compassion. Before the King James and the RSV and the NIV and the NRSV and the CEV, there was his compassion. Before Christians disagreed and argued about pretty much everything, there was his compassion. Long before it became more important to be right rather than to be faithful, there was his compassion. Before Christians became so enamored with who was in and who was out, there was his compassion. And before the Bible and Christianity and the name of Jesus were used to invoke violence and hate and slavery and oppression and exclusion, there was his compassion. Before the feeding, before the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, 5,000 besides women and children, there was his compassion. Remarkable? Yes. Miraculous? Yes. But a miracle? No. Compassion ought not to be that much of a stretch. It shouldn't be so unexpected. Compassion shouldn't be reserved for only the most divine. Compassion ought to be so utterly human. It was just part of his DNA. Jesus and compassion. Part of his DNA and part of ours. When Jesus said to the disciples, you give them something to eat, it was like he was saying, go and do likewise. Go and have compassion. Live and breathe and act compassion. Before the expression follow the money became an adage in politics and business and corruption in life, 
the followers of Jesus were taught to follow the compassion. For the Christian, for the church, for you and for me today, here and now, there can't be much that is more important than bearing, communicating, exhibiting, living, breathing, acting, compassion. Back in 2008 at the Sea of Galilee, as I watched one pastor look rather silly and foolish running around pleading for quiet, the wiser pastor next to me leaned over and said, you know, and with a head nodding toward the kids at the water's edge, you know, that's what it ought to sound like at this meal. That's what it's going to sound like in the kingdom of God. Come to the table this morning to be filled with compassion and joy. Thanks be to God.